This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, it's been a little bit of a crazy week. You know, we were meeting on the podcast last Wednesday, uh, having just gotten back from a trip to Nashville ourselves, uh, you know, where the Florida Gators were about to get underway at the SEC tournament. Fast forward, not even 24 hours, and all of a sudden we're getting news that the SEC basketball tournament had been canceled. And uh, it seems like it's really just been an escalation since then. I mean, we've just seen thing after thing get canceled and shut down. Uh, What's been your reaction to just how quickly this has all unfolded? You know, I, I think at this point, I, I'm not surprised that everything kind of unfolded. You know, whenever it started to be, you know, well, this conference is canceled their their NCAA or excuse me their conference tournament. Um, it, it, once it seemed like things were starting to roll that way, I wasn't surprised that everyone kind of followed suit. Um, you know, when it boils down to it, I think it's just the unknown with the, you know the whole coronavirus and how things are going on. Um, you know, I think the big question from not only sports but just anywhere it's is are we overreacting? Are we underreacting? Um, and I think the unknown there is is what makes it to where it makes sense to shut these things down. I know from sporting fans and sports junkies like us, you know, it sucks. You know, you have to actually hang out with your family and you know do all these other things. Um, you know, it's no sports there, but uh, you know, I think in the big picture, it's the best move. A um, little surprising how everything kind of moves so quickly. Um, you know, here we are talking about, you know, even just kind of looking at the recruiting ban of visits, you know, we're talking April 15th, you know, some of those spring sports would have stretched past that. So, you know, it, it does beg the question of, you know, should they have, you know, postponed it and wait to see how things unfold. But I think it's just the unknown. You kind of have to nip things in the bud and you have to, you know, make a decision. And you have to stick with it. Well, let me go ahead and walk through kind of where we're at right now for any listeners that maybe have not followed along as closely because they've been busy with their own changes, at, you know, at their job and all that. Uh, first off, all of the spring sports have had competition canceled for the entire athletic season. So baseball, softball, uh, some of those other sports, uh, will no longer be having any competitions, any games. Um, the spring game for Florida has officially been canceled. That was supposed to take place on April 5th, uh, April 18th, excuse me, uh, which is a little bit after the current deadline of April 15th, where nothing is starting before April 15th. And that means, um, you know, players can't go into the weight rooms right now. Players can't go into the meeting rooms, the film rooms. Um, all of those team facilities are shut down right now through at least April 15th. Now, Florida has kept the training room open uh, and they're they're making sure that they disinfect that and sanitize that very frequently. They've also kept the academic center open, even though classes are online, just for any students that may not be going home. You know, obviously, that's the been the recommendation from UF is for students that can make it home to go ahead and get home so that there's less exposure uh, within the area and that, you know, students aren't congregating together and uh, maybe taking this thing too lightly and throwing parties and stuff like that. You know, we've, we've seen some of the videos from around the state of Florida with spring break and all that. So UF obviously wants to be very careful. So the, the only two team facilities right now that are open are the training rooms and the academic center. And again, they're disinfecting those heavily. 
So really, until April 15th, Blake, we're not going to have much news, I don't think. Um, This virus is obviously uh, being taken very seriously at the national level, at the state level, the local level. Um, And until we start to see um, one, you know, that incubation period get through to where uh, we really have a firm handle on just how many people even have this thing as the testing ramps up and all that, I think we'll have a better idea. Um, But right now, kind of what's going on within the athletics world is everybody's kind of wondering what the next step is. You know, when when does, you know, kind of the lockdown end, so to speak? Um, and, And how are sports administrators going to grapple with questions of, okay, if this thing is still lingering as a concern and we push past April 15th, uh, how far out could this thing go? How far out could this extend? And Blake, I think for right now, the answer to that is probably we just don't know yet. That's the thing. Uh, a lot of these things, you know, just from hearing like my parents talk and my grandparents talk and stuff like that, when they, when, you know, they've mentioned about, you know, just the coronavirus and the craze, like they don't even, you know, this is unprecedented for a lot of people. So I think it's just an unknown. And, and I think that it stinks because everyone wants to know when are things going to come back, when are things starting, and everyone wants an answer there. And I just don't know there's going to be one for quite some time. You know, I mean, at this point, I don't even know if April 15th, you know, I mean, obviously that's my opinion to me thinking out loud there. But, you know, I'm starting to think that, you know, some of these guys are even looking ahead to pass this. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if that April 15th date of any kind moves. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple tweets out there today, I know, floating around the Internet from some pretty well-respected, you know, sports reporters that are pretty plugged in that, ADs and, and even college coaches are starting to express concern that the football season may be impacted. Um, I had the chance to hop on an SEC teleconference call with Commissioner Greg Sankey yesterday, and uh, the, the two things kind of hit me. I think the first was that um, just the speed that this whole thing hit even caught some administrators off guard. Like, uh, you know, it's, Greg Sankey was surprised to find out that the NCAA was canceling March Madness. I mean, that came as a surprise to him even. Uh, So I think the communication could have been better. I think that he was a little upset there. And I know um, privately some, you know, some athletic directors within the conference have expressed frustration that, you know, that that there was not a whole lot of conversation there. And I think that that continues to be an issue with the NCAA and something that I think they really need to get a handle on and work on, particularly because there's going to be a lot of issues out there now that have to get sorted through that, um, frankly, coaches and players need to know. So, Blake, I wanted to pin down some of those issues with you and maybe talk about them. I guess the biggest one that's on everybody's mind right now is what happens to spring sport athletes in terms of their eligibility. Um, to, to your mind, should those athletes be given an extra year? And then we'll kind of go from there and address maybe even a step further when it comes to winter athletes. You know, I think it's it's the interesting question is, is when you look at a lot of these spring sports, it's it really is different than football where you have, you know, this 85 man roster and things for the most part are easier to kind of fluctuate there. You know, even looking at baseball, it's a smaller roster. You know, not everyone there is getting a full scholarship. You know, you have partials here and there. Um, you know, it, through the recruiting process, you know, let's say you have a guy that's, you know, your backup catcher this year, but you're already recruiting a guy that's a freshman. Um, you know, that's coming in and, and more than likely, you know, let's just look at a ranking standpoint, like, let's just say he's better, you know, and you're coming in and you've got a guy there who would more likely want to enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, the question first and foremost is, is do you limit these, you know, extra eligibility, you know, if the NCAA were to grant that, do you limit that to just seniors or does that go to everybody? And I think that's the first question you kind of have to tackle first, because obviously seniors, uh, most of those guys are going to you know, more than likely graduate. They're going to be able to go in and be that graduate transfer, go in and play immediately. And, and it doesn't really bind things up. 
But if you do open the door for some of these younger guys, um, you know, that maybe want to transfer from a school or, or whatnot, um, and they're not a senior, I think that that's where it starts to get from a number standpoint where you might see guys, you know, invading this transfer portal that have to sit out, you know, if they do get that eligibility. I think for the most part, they have to make some tough decisions there because I think with just the sheer numbers for how the numbers game works for a lot of these spring sports, I think you have to get, you know, be very careful here because you could see a max exodus and you could have these guys going all over and, you know, numbers from, you know, rosters. It just, there's so many questions that it opens. And I think they really do have to be careful in this decision. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, we've seen that issue even without, you know, extraordinary circumstances like guys getting an extra year that there's a lot of guys in the transfer portal and they get there and then they realize, you know, the spots really aren't there like they think they would. And, um, and so I, I think almost the bigger concern is, you get into questions about overall roster size and um, in terms of creating an equitable playing field, one of the issues with simply allowing uh, players to have another year of eligibility. Um, and, and let me be clear here. I, I think that it's the right thing to do for these players that have had their seasons interrupted for the spring sports. I, I really think it's unfair to these seniors, um, you know, that, that they would just have their season ended like that and that's it. Particularly guys that have professional aspirations. You talk about baseball. Um, a lot of those guys, they lose leverage the longer that they come back into school. And so that's another complicating factor there. Uh, but the issue in terms of creating an equitable playing field and some of the issues you have to wrestle through there is, okay, what if, uh, you know, what if one baseball team has, say, 12 seniors on its roster, right? And you have a roster of 35 guys. Uh, this obviously wouldn't apply to Florida because Florida has, you know, typically guys leaving for the draft early. But if if one team has 12 seniors that can all return and another team has only two, well, all of a sudden, if you, you know, have all those guys come back, either A, it could potentially affect, like you said, the signees that you have coming in. All of a sudden, they're not getting the playing time they wanted um, or, you know, there's just not enough spots on the roster. So what does the NCAA do? Most likely, they probably end up lifting the roster cap size for the year. Um, but the problem you get into there is that, you know, Team A with 12 seniors coming back, they could all of a sudden go from having a 35-man roster limit to having 47, whereas the other team can only get up to 37. So you create some issues in there when it comes to um, roster balance and depth favoring teams that maybe had more seniors one year than another. And I, I will say that's just my that's just my take on some of the issues that could potentially create an unlevel playing field. Uh, my personal stance is that I think it's I think it's the right thing to do to give at the very least the seniors the ability to come back. I don't know if it makes nearly as much sense to start granting underclassmen, and I understand that their seasons were disrupted too. I just think you're you're creating a bigger long term problem if you don't look at this as a one year fix. Um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't see any I, because for one, the trickle down effects are harder to predict when you're you're not just looking at it as a one-year stopgap to a crazy situation. Um, and then, again, having said that, we, we still don't even know how long this thing's going to last. You know, I know Greg Sankey was asked on the SEC teleconference, uh, is there any potential for them to play a fall baseball schedule next year? You know, kind of push things back that way. Um, and he said, he you know, he doesn't know that that's really all that realistic. And, again, pointed to the fact that, look, we don't know. Like, he's optimistic that, you know, they have SEC media days for football in July and that all everything goes according to plan and they play a full football schedule. But we just don't know yet. And I think that's that's what's going to be interesting to follow. And again, I, I'm not sure that this is a situation where a week from now we have any more of an idea where we're going. I really think it's going to take, you know, because of the way this virus works in the incubation period, a lot of times symptoms don't show until two weeks after you've contracted it. Uh, we just don't even have the numbers yet on how many people this is going to affect, on how seriously it's going to impact the health system, the economy in general. 
um, all, all of those things. So um, I guess, Blake, one other thing I wanted to touch on, I guess, is it, the other big topic when people ask about this is what's the financial impact of having these these things canceled? And there are basically two main issues. Uh, having spoken to athletics director Scott Strickland on Friday, um, he said, quite frankly, the revenue impact of losing the, str- the spring sports isn't very big. Um, and I went back and did some research. The last time that UF put out kind of a line item revenue statement, operating expenses, all that, um, their, their combined spring sport revenue for all of those sports, including baseball, was less than a million dollars. And that was back in t- fiscal year 2015 and 16. They kind of changed the way they report this document. Uh, so it's not broken down quite as much anymore, not, as, not quite as transparent. Um, but it was less than a million dollars for all those spring sports in terms of revenue. And the operating expenses for those sports were about $11 million. Um, so they actually lose money kind of putting on those sports. Now, um, you're not going to get all those operating expenses back just because those sports were canceled. You know, a lot of those things have already gone into place. Florida will probably try to do what it can for the hourly workers that maybe run into some of those operating expenses. Um, but you have the potential just from those two line items to potentially make up a little bit of ground. Uh, where you're going to be losing money from a financial standpoint is most likely the NCAA's uh, March Madness bracket uh their distribution to schools for, for having played that tournament. Typically that tournament tournament pulls in about 800, uh, $800 million annually. And they distribute that, uh, you know, obviously to a bunch of different schools. Typically that number from, from research that USA today has done. And I believe the athletic also put out that, uh, number for, for division one schools in terms of what the NCAA, uh, revenue represents in terms of a school's overall revenue is only about two to 5%. And I went back and looked at Florida's, they got about $2.1 million from the NCAA tournament distribution uh, back in that 15, 16 fiscal year. So it wasn't a huge part of Florida's budget, only about 2%. And uh, so you're kind of balancing those two things. You know, what's the difference in, uh, you know, your operating revenue uh, and your operating expenses for spring sports versus what you're going to lose on, you know, the NCAA not having that tournament and potentially having to fight insurers to collect on, whatever small part of insurance they can get for not having the event. Uh, but Blake, my take on it, and, and I'm not a financial expert by any means, um, but my take was that I don't know that it'll have a big financial impact for Florida. And so I think if you're a Gators fan, if you're Scott Strickland, you know, a little bit of a silver lining in this, that it doesn't seem like it'll affect the bottom line a whole lot. Sure. And you know, it's, it's the spring sports, you know, and, and in the sec and in a lot of these colleges, I mean, football is King. I think whenever you start mm-hmm. getting into, you know, how, if this goes into the fall or if this goes deeper into things, I think that's when you start to maybe feel like that burden, you know, football season, if something happens there, even if it's, you know, a shorter season or, or whatever they're going to do. I, I think that's whenever you start to see, you know, maybe some of these ADs start to really give this thing a closer look. You know, like you said, the spring sports, you know, baseball, you know, a lot of those pull in really good, you know, like local, you know, I've covered a lot of baseball games in my history, you know, of, of being on the Gators beat. And there's a lot of locals there, you know, even for softball, gymnastics, a lot of that. But, you know, football is king, man. You've got 90,000 plus people there. You know, there's people that are spending a lot of money around and doing this and that. Football is just such a big attraction. I, I think that that's, that's the thing to follow there. Yeah, no, and that's a great point, Blake. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one one thing I haven't really discussed much. Uh, the the implication of losing those spring sports does take a, a, a much bigger hit, I think, on the Gainesville economy than than maybe U.S. bottom line, uh, the UAA's bottom line, and that's an important note. Um, you know, particularly with 
you know, the shutdown we've seen in restaurants and all that in Gainesville, Gainesville's going to take a little bit of a hit and there's going to be some businesses that probably can't keep their doors open. So I certainly don't want to minimize the impact. Uh, I was strictly kind of looking at it from a UAA standpoint because, you know, that's what we cover. But I'm really glad that you mentioned that because uh, I definitely don't want to downplay the impact that that's going to have. But uh, Blake, let's go ahead and take a quick break. I, I wanted to get back and talk a little bit on the other side of this break about the impacts of this to the football team in particular, because that's what most of our viewers care about. Like you said, um, when we come back on the other side of this break, I'm going to ask you which, which areas we kind of think uh, might be most impacted by not having spring ball or having it pushed back right on the other side of this break, guys. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're kicking around kind of the impacts of the coronavirus, obviously with spring sports now canceled. Uh, Blake, going back to what you said just before we took a break, uh, that football is kind of the main revenue driver. It's kind of the the end-all, be-all when it comes down to it. Programs live and die based on how the football program does, uh, based on the kind of revenue that program brings in. And I think nothing speaks to that more clearly than the fact that all of these spring sports are canceled, essentially, and yet Greg Sankey made it quite clear yesterday that spring practices for football teams are not explicitly off the table yet. Essentially, the deal is all the spring games are canceled, but they're leaving open the, the window of possibility that if, say, everything comes back online on April 16th, they could still work something out to where they have spring football practices, and I think it's very clear that football's the driver. I mean, this is what everybody's going to be working for. Uh, this is this is going to be what people plan around. Um, Blake, not having spring practice is obviously going to be a big deal. First off, I think I think it's important for us to talk about the general impacts that may have. Assume we're going to work on the assumption that we have a 2020 season that you know fall fall practice isn't necessarily impacted. Um, I don't need that negativity in my life yet. No, not at all. And and we talked about it a little bit in the last couple of days. Uh, I think you and I both feel like Florida can maybe be a team that has an advantage. Uh, or, or should we say less of a disadvantage than other teams, given the type of roster they have returning, having missed spring ball? You know, I'd agree with that, you know, and I still do. And I think when you look at it, um, the nucleus of Florida's offense, 
Um, the offensive line, I think, is the biggest question there. But I think for the most part, what you've seen from guys last season, I think what you see is what you get for the offensive line for Florida. Mind you, sure, going out and seeing some of these guys in spring, seeing if there's any changes in, in anything different at all, those are questions we more than likely won't have right now. And, and that, that stinks. But I think whenever you look at things, you know, comparing things to Georgia, they're having a brand new quarterback. He's going to have to learn the system. I think those are things that would bother me more if I'm a head coach, um, just not having those extra spring practices, you know, those reps to figure things out. You know, you, Florida's bringing back a guy in Kyle Trask who did great last season. He knows the offense very well. Sure, there are some questions. I think Damian Pierce, we have an idea of what he brings. Florida has Kyle Pitts. Wide receiver, I think, is an all, another question there because Florida is going to have to have some new faces step in and who those new faces are are the question. Um, defensively, I think just the, the overall point I'm trying to make is just the fact that Florida brings back so many people that were on the roster last year, and if maybe they weren't a starter, they were someone who had you know, enough snaps to know at least have an idea of what you're getting from them. So I feel like this does benefit Florida if there is some kind of silver lining to put in there because, sure, everyone wants those spring practices. You never know who could emerge. You never know what could happen in these. You know, spring is really just a time to battle to show these coaches that, you know, I'm here, I can be available for the fall. But I think for the just the overall body of work, I think Florida has enough, doesn't have as many question marks, I guess is the better way to say it, than some of the other teams in their conference. Yeah, and certainly not in key spots. You know, you, you talk about Kyle Trask. He's a guy that's been around. I mean, he's going into his fifth year. So um, that's certainly good. And then I think the other thing that you kind of mentioned is um, teams that have had coordinator changes, man, that's not easy. Like, you're relying on spring ball to have that that availability to practice the new scheme with without being in a high-pressure environment where coaches are able to get on the field with you, uh, where you're not worried about game planning. And so... Um, I think that's going to be as big as anything. Uh, Florida obviously has a lot of staff continuity at this point. You know, third third year in a row, they've got both coordinators back. I think that's huge. That's the first time that's happened in, a, in more than a decade. Uh, actually, going back to the last time Dan Mullen was around. So that's a big deal. I mean, I mean that's going to be a really, really big deal for teams that are breaking in new quarterbacks with a new offensive coordinator, uh, switching schemes, you know, on defense. That's, that's not always easy to deal with. And Spring ball is that kind of period where you can really develop and hone those things. Um, so I, I think I think that and, you know, Florida schedule, man, we keep talking about it. Like, uh, you know, I, it's never a good thing to lose spring ball. But when you're looking at potential advantages that Florida has over other teams, I look at the roster and I say, man, like if anybody's set to uh, kind of withstand that that loss of time, it's going to be Florida. Let's talk about some individual positions, because I know you mentioned the offensive line being one. Let's break it down even further. Let's talk about individual players. Who are the guys that are maybe hurt the most by not being able to have this spring, particularly on the offensive line? You know, I, I look at those young guys, whether they're the ones from this early enrollee class, uh, this past cycle, Joshua Braun, Isaiah Walker, those kind of guys. But I think even more so, it's it's the Michael Tarquins, it's you know the Will Harrods, it's some of these other guys that Florida signed in the 2019 class. Whereas those are the guys, you know, and Ethan White, who we got a glimpse of, you know, what he's put together just from the few games we did see him in last year. But I think it's just getting that overall body of work, getting maybe some more uh, reps with the starters, because obviously whenever you're looking at a unit in the fall, if there aren't, you know, there are always positions that are up for, for you know, a battle there, even in the fall. But I think for the most part, you kind of lean on what you know in the fall. And I think that now in the spring is where you kind of can plug some guys in there, see what you can get, you know, throw a guy in with the ones that maybe wasn't doing that last year. So I think just the experimentation for some of those guys, some of the younger guys, 
um, from that 2020, uh, excuse me, 2020 and 2019 class that they have on campus. I think that those are the ones who are really affected the most. Um, and, you know, I think it kind of, in, in, uh, uh, in the other hand here, you know, a guy like John DeLance, I think it does benefit him. You know, I know that he, he got beat up last year. You know, there were some times where he would get pulled out there. But I think when you look at the overall body of work and the fact that he's been in the longest, he's got that seniority there. He knows the offense at least more than what you would think a freshman coming in there. So I think, you know, it does hurt those guys that are the young ones that could come in and emerge. And I think it benefits a guy like John DeLance, who, you know, maybe if you get into the situation where you don't get spring ball and you're going into the fall there, I think for the most part you go with what you know and maybe what you're the most comfortable with. And I think just the fact that they continue to throw him out there, they obviously are somewhat comfortable with him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think it definitely puts a premium on experience, uh, at least initially, you know, where maybe sure. you see guys that could have stepped in right away, a la a Joshua Braun, you know, had he gotten a spring. Maybe you see him take more of the trajectory of like an Ethan White last year where he plays pretty sparingly early on, but then you slowly ramp him up as you see what he can do. Um, that's a great point. I think the other thing that for me that sticks out is you mentioned some of those second-year guys, you know, the, the Michael Tarquins, William Harrods. I think the de- depending on how long this thing lasts, one of the potential impacts you have is that um, they've gotten a chance now to go through pretty much the full winter workout with Nick Savage. And we saw all the pictures being posted towards the end of that period. Uh, so you haven't lost any of that. And typically they wouldn't be ramping up as hard uh, while spring ball is actually going in terms of the strength and conditioning. But once you get out of that period, that's when you hit the real summer grind. And if we end up extending much past this April 15th deadline, which I, I got to be honest with you, based on listening to some of these people seems fairly likely. I keep hearing things like, uh, you know, from Greg Sankey, I think it would be fairly optimistic to assume that we're going to be back on April 16th. And Scott Strickland, same thing, that he thinks it will be, you know, a little bit on the optimistic side. If that starts to extend out further, um, you're talking about typically summer A, where that, you know, real weight strength and conditioning program takes place or starts to begin is is really mid-May. Um, and if we're extending out past that April deadline, it very easily uh, we could lose a couple weeks in there. And, and these are guys that have started to transform their body and are certainly, uh, you know, in be- better place right now physically than where they were when they came in. Uh, but they still have a lot of work to do. And being able to get that period in a full strength and conditioning program over the summer in is very big because a lot of these guys, that's, that's kind of what we've talked about with this O line in particular. Um, the veterans are, are, have the experience, right? And so the coaches trust them. But for me, the ceiling on those guys in terms of ability, in terms of uh, just natural athleticism is a little capped. And we've been talking about it all spring that this spring was going to be about some of those younger guys pushing to take some of those spots just because they're better athletes. And as they continue to get that experience, you can get more out of them. I think if you lose some of that strength and conditioning, all of a sudden you lose a little bit of that edge that maybe they were looking for and it stalls things a little bit. Um, I, hopefully this thing doesn't go into summer very much, you know? Um, but like, like we said, nobody knows right now. And I think when you're looking at, uh, kind of the issues that Florida needed to fix, I mean, I don't know that I would say anything was bigger than the run game, right? Absolutely. But I think it's another position where with Damian Pierce, I think you know what you're going to get there. And I think that if you, if you look at the, at the entire group there, I think he's the one that you probably feel the best about. And again, maybe this hurts the most a guy like Malik Davis, who's coming off of that injury, who really wasn't quite the same player last year whenever we did see him. Um, this was his chance to kind of show, is he make or break? Um, and then again, you know, you have a guy like, uh, you know, Lorenzo Lingard, who probably would have benefited him. I, again, I'm 
speaking in terms of, you know, he's still got to get a waiver and he's still got to get eligible to play there um, through that waiver, being a transfer player. But I think getting him in that system, even if he's going to play, he's not going to play. He's going to prepare like a guy who's going to play. And I think that's just kind of the, the way that you kind of go about things when you're a transfer guy and you know what to expect in college. I think you have to prepare that way. So, you know, maybe looking at the group as a whole, I think is where it hurts. You know, some of these guys that you really wanted to see what they're going to put together. But I think for the most part, Damian Pierce is more than likely going to be the guy you expect that you can count on the most. I don't know if that would change anything from the spring. More so for me, it would change just knowing that maybe there's some guys that can come in and you know get in the rotation and also make an impact as well. And not have to worry about just one guy being your one feature back. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's let's flip over to the other side of the ball because I think the question there is kind of equally interesting. Um, I'll go ahead and start. I think I think this not having spring ball really hurts a guy like Trey Dean who clearly has some physical physical ability but was probably going to go through a little bit of a position change this spring. I think now, you, you know, you push that back. Obviously, he's got a little bit of the experience factor, so that helps. Um, but not being able to, to really kind of work on your craft at a new spot, because uh, everything I had heard was that he was going to move to safety. Uh, it's, to a lesser degree, same thing for Amari Bernie. We were really expecting him to kind of take over as that starting nickelback, and certainly he's had some experience there. He played there his freshman year. Um, but not having a little bit more time to kind of get into the flow of things. I think those are two guys probably negative Im- negatively impacted by not having spring this, well, at least for now. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that those are just those kind of guys that Florida recruits to where they're they're you can tab them as athletes and they may not be, you know, the athlete in the sense that, you know, he could play wide receiver, he could play DB. But I think it's just the fact that Florida really recruits those guys that are versatile players, whereas trading can be a guy who can throw him out at corner. You can throw him at safety. He was actually a safety, I believe, as a prospect, you know, mm-hmm. going through the recruiting rankings. You threw him at nickel last season at that star position for Florida. Mari Bernie's another guy who out of high school was a wide receiver. Uh, linebacker type, or excuse me, he was actually more of a safety, but now you've got a guy that can play some star, he can play some linebacker, he can play some of there. So I think those guys, like you mentioned, are hurt, the ones that are maybe jack-of-all-trade kind of guys, but not a master of one position. Finding that spot that they fit in the best, I think, is what hurts the most, because we've seen glimpses of them um, just from last season. I, I mean, Florida's going to have an idea of, of what they can do with some of these guys, I think more so knowing their limitations, but I think putting them in those positions to where you think you can get them successful, I think it does hurt them. Um, even, you know, looking at at the buck position where you've had a guy Jakai Polite who was really you know a high uh, you know productive player for Florida when he was there under Todd Grantham Jonathan Grenard last year uh, this year I think it was time for Bretton Cox to be a guy who sat out last year who could have come point. in and he could have really shown what he can put together because I get it Florida has done a great job recruiting these buck types there's a lot of younger guys that are unproven and we don't know what they're going to do but I think the foregone conclusion is that Bretton Cox this former five-star player was going to kind of come in and show this spring what he could put together and I think that for me on the defensive side I think he's the one that I'm most bummed not to see how he put together because now you're going to see him go with these starters and see him go full blast and see what he can do and, and if he can help your defense right away which a lot of the coaches think he can yeah, no, he's another one I, I kind of had circled and forgot to mention. That's definitely a great point there. And then and then just, you know, particularly on the defensive line, you've got some guys that are probably going to be cross-training at different positions this spring uh, based on how they bulk up. And all of a sudden now, they you know, they don't have the chance to get those snaps. Um, you know, it's definitely – it's not an ideal situation. You know, I think that Florida will try to do what it can to take the most of it. And I expect that, um, you know, Florida's coaches have been heavily in contact with players trying to urge them to do whatever they can. You know, I'm sure they're doing body weight type workouts, you know, from wherever they are at home as they keep up with classes and all that. Um, but definitely kind of a letdown. And, you know, certainly everybody hopes that this thing blows over pretty quickly and gets back to normal. But, uh, Blake, uh, I wanted to ask you just if you had any other thoughts uh, before we kind of wrap up here. 
You know, just something that I've kind of thought about as I've written some of these stories that, you know, as we're kind of going through a, you know, recruiting ban, a sports ban, I, I kind of circle back to the fact that when you look at Florida having that March 7th recruiting weekend uh, where they had a lot of their top tier guys on town, ta- uh, excuse me, their top tier targets on campus for that weekend um, with a really big recruiting you know weekend. I think when you go forward, I, I know Florida wasn't thinking about when they had this big junior day that this was going to be canceled. And they're going to be dealing with all these bands. But I just keep going back to the fact that it was really a luxury for Florida to get these guys on campus because some of these guys, Florida was their last visit. You know that now they're sitting there and they have to wait until April. Um, who knows if things stretch out there? So I think I just circle back to the fact that you know it, it's a dead period for recruiting and things are going to slow down. But I think that lasting impact of Florida being the last visit and getting some of these guys like a Leonard Taylor, a Jason Marshall. I mean, there were so many guys on campus for that junior day that were big time targets. I think it was good for Florida to do that because you know here we are sitting around not knowing when the next time any of these guys could be taking visits. No, that's a great point. If you're looking for silver linings, I think that's definitely one. And you know, just following Tim Brewster on Twitter. Uh, you know, he seems to be still working those phones as much as he can. So I'm sure that, you know, Florida's aware that they have kind of that little edge and is doing everything they can to take advantage. But, uh, Blake, I know for, for our show next week, I, I just wanted to give uh, our listeners a little bit of a preview. We're going to do something a little different. We're kind of very analytical on this podcast. I know we talk a lot about breaking down different positions, this and that. I think next week, barring, barring obviously some major changes in news, which I, I don't really expect, Blake and I are going to sit down and we're going to talk about some of our favorite memories going to Florida games, both as fans and reporters, and just kind of relive some of those memories because I know a lot of people obviously have been doing the same, rewatching stuff on YouTube. You know, sports uh, not being here is kind of tough. So we're going to uh, kind of probably give you some insight that normally uh, we, we maybe wouldn't even share just because, you know, we, try, we do try to be very objective. Uh, but both Blake and I went to Florida and have quite a few memories. So stay tuned for that next week, guys. We'll be back in the middle of next week, and uh, we hope to see you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.